Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 442 of Constructive Criticism. I'm your ramp expert, Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man who almost convinced me to put Primeval Titan in the thumbnail, Ape Stein. You know, we do use it a lot. It's just really good, though. And it is, like, it, I was, like I was saying in the pre-show, it's the Tom Brady of ramp threats. It's the Tom Brady of magic, if we're being honest. No, um, uh, <laughs> dude, I gotta, I gotta ask you. Um, you know, this is this is one of those times. This is actually so funny. I, I was thinking about the 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 pre-show question. You know, we're this podcast is about us improving. Like, we want to be getting better all the time. And one of the things that this part of the postseason in football really comes down to when you get to these championship games is the teams that didn't spend too much on a quarterback. They didn't spend they didn't spend they didn't blow their load in one area. They beat themselves really balanced. They you know, they they obviously got hot at the right time. Like you look at somebody like the if you're a football fan, the 49ers and the 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 um the Bengals are like the two hottest teams in football. Like they both won at least eight games in a row. If I think the Bengals might be more. And I was kind of curious your thoughts on like, do you think about that in terms of like a magic tournament? Because you can only play around a week in football, but you also kind of need that rest. But for me, Abe, I actually do kind of look at it and I'm like, man, these people, like they really made sure that they were playing their best at the right time, getting to the, the elimination rounds they set themselves up for what they needed to get to those elimination rounds. And now they're playing some of their best football right now. Yeah. I mean, I've never actually thought about it in terms of like the week to week, like the team composition. I do think that like in general, the idea and, and what you see a lot in football and just professional sports in general is like teams that are not built around. Like if you think about injuries as the like randomness of your deck, uh, like injuries and just, you know, having issues with your depth chart as a sports team, like a, a football team or, you know, any team is just going to happen, right? You're going to lose players at times. And so if your team is well-rounded and not overly reliant on any single facet, you're going to have a higher win, win rate on aggregate. And in the same way, if you're like playing a deck that is not super tied to like one specific thing, not only is it going to be that if you play against people who are playing like, things that are designed to, like, shut down that exact angle of attack. Like, right, if you're playing Dredge, you play against, like, Rest in Pieces and Leyland Voids as the tournament goes on. Yeah. Like, you can't just only rely on that. It, Whereas if you're going to really have a good finish against a really open field that's, it, that's actually actively responding to you, yeah, you, like, you do want to be as well-rounded as possible and have it, that. It's that so depth. funny. I thought about the... I, I do not watch baseball as much as Abe, so Abe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, like, the Dodgers had this exact problem this year where, like, they had historically, like, the best... It, they might have actually just had the best season before the playoffs of any team ever, all off of hitting, didn't have pitching, and then go to the postseason, can't win a game because they don't have pitching. And it, it would be like, it, it was like this glass cannon that was destined to blow up, right? Like, where you like play this deck that nobody's prepared for, but you get to the elimination elimination rounds against better players that are more prepared, and then suddenly it blows up in your face. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, it's kind of like, that situation was a lot like Aetherworks Marvel or whatever. If you were the first person to really bring Aetherworks Marvel, at a certain point, it is just in in baseball, like, your batting is way higher variance than pitching. Your pitching, like, you, you 
if you're having a good game pitching, it is so much more valuable than like any individual player having a good game batting. So all of that lining up offensively is a lot more um, like it, there's a lot more things that can go wrong because you need more moving parts to line up. Whereas if you're a good team defensively and have good pitching, like even your bad, your pitcher, your good pitcher's bad days. So it's like having the, it was like they didn't get the energy they needed for Marvel but got the marbles, or they got the energy they needed, they didn't get the marbles. Yeah, or like they, they like got they like they're there and they're spinning and they're just whiffing, right? Like like they need sure. to they need to have it all lined up and then activate and hit, right? They need all of that to happen while their opponent like might just have like answers. Yeah, it, it, it I I love sports analogies for magic a lot because I find it like interesting to talk about in you know, you, you think about Marvel when it had, like, Chandra and Emrakul, where it could be, like, a fair game deck, right? But the second that it lost those, it, it went to, like, this kind of tier 2, tier 1.5 deck where it was like, okay, this is good, but, like, what 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 is its problems, right? And not having pitching in baseball is, is having that same problem, where it's like, yeah, I can hit you out of the park every time, but if I can't strike you out, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, if we're having to, if we're just both, like, if we're both playing Marvel in this instance, right, like, if you're just hitting better than me, then I'm going to lose, and that's really just up to not me. There, there's so many moving parts and so much, like, randomness in that, that, and then any, right, if I'm playing, if I'm playing, like, a Jund Marvel deck that doesn't have good interaction, you're playing a Team of Marvel deck that does, which isn't the thing that happened, but, like, theoretically, like, someone who is able to play it plus permission and not, you're just going to win more games in that, in that set on aggregate, because you're going to have the same threat plus... Yeah. And that was not having pitching is like not having interact. This state championship above my head, right here, this play mat, that was one with Team or Marvel, uh, the next format, uh, where I actually sideboarded into Spell Queller, uh, and sideboarded in Evolving Wilds to take it from Teamer to four color. Fun fact. Sick deck. This is a sick deck. Gotta do what you gotta do. Uh let's talk about I was improving. And I'm gonna go first. Um and I'm going to go away from Magic, um, because I'm actually trying not to play magic, a lot of Magic right now. I, I talked about this on my private Twitter a little bit, but... You know, in trying to be always improving, sometimes I narrow in too much on the small things that I did to improve without, like, going out to the larger picture. And honestly, right now, I, I think that I am a lot better at Magic today than I was two years ago. And I understand a lot more things. But I think that mechanically and um, in practice, actually, is probably how I will say this. I am not okay. And I think I've heard of this two weeks ago where like, I'm not okay in my mental right now. Um, and I'm suffering quite a bit from depression like in my real life. Um, just being out of a job for this long and, and stuff like that. That it is affecting my rounds on magic online it's affecting my rounds um and rcqs it's affecting my rounds on arena where like i just uh i'm not happy um and I, i'm the type of person that like needs to find either some kind of zen some zone like something to attach to to like really get into a groove and so for me this week um i i did two things um I decided to play a draft instead of constructed, even though I don't have any. My my next my RCU this weekend is limited, but it is um, 
uh, Dominaria Remastered, but it was like, it was literally just to like get out of a cycle between some of the other things that I was doing, um, and then also focus on certain things to improve at. And I did it in both Smash and Magic this week because I wanted to go across all the things I was working on. Or it's like, here's the things I need to work on in Smash. Here are the things that I'm doing wrong. Saw immediate success in that. I was like, okay, let's apply that to Magic. Here are the things that I know that I've been struggling with. Like lazy mulligans. Like, um, uh, uh, just like a wing sideboarding and like not developing a sideboard plan for individualized things going into a matchup. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't played a ton of Magic, but it is helping. Like, it is that 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 laser focus for just a minute, rather than big picture focus, is actually helping me not hate playing Magic. Which, to be honest, like, for a little while, I've kind of hated playing Magic just because of how sad I've been, so. Yeah, I think that, uh, and this is something that comes up a lot in... Um... I mean, not only in just like my approach to the game, but in how when I talk with uh, with players from coaching about things, is like when you change your the way that you're approaching magic, or you find yourself unhappy playing magic uh, and not satisfied with where you are, or like you're really lo like looking towards your results um, or anything to like kind of make it feel worth it. Which is not to say that that's what you were experiencing, but um, you know that feeling of like not hating playing magic and not really enjoying this thing that like you know ultimately you do want to and you usually do enjoy is that when you change the way that you're approaching how you're thinking about things and what it is you're seeking to do you change your goals and you change your your process up a bit to, to kind of more align with what you need or even just to see something new which is one of the beauties of magic is that there is so much you can focus on and learn about in so many different areas that um you know it really does make a world of difference in uh in how you're approaching things and how it even feels to, to engage, even in just the short term. Like it can be like th those times where like, I'll take breaks from playing magic to play other games just because I feel like I'll get more satisfaction and more enjoyment out of it and avoid burning out on playing magic by doing something else while still feeling like I'm maybe working on some skill or, you know, identifying something else or even just allowing myself not to burn out being the, the, the thing I'm doing for my own process. Yeah. But, it, and that's exactly what I did, right? Like I, I don't think I played magic for like four days. I just was like, I don't even think I played Smash for some of those days, too. I was just like, you know what? I, I just need to, like, I don't know, like, just disassociate in, like, a lot of ways. Um, and like, that's not the best coping skill, but it, it certainly worked. I, I, I agree with basically everything you said. Um, what are you, Abe, though? What did, what did you do this week to be always improving? Yeah, so my always improving moment this week came um, actually during... Game three of the finals of the RSQ that I won on Sunday uh, in Pioneer, where I found myself in what was an incredibly difficult and tight to navigate game um, between I was playing Mono Green, my opponent was playing Red Black Midrange in Pioneer. And um, in game three, uh, I've got like two old growth trolls, and my opponent has a Fable token and a blood type harvester and they're basically hellbent and i'm really just trying to navigate and, and my hand has a besaju in it and our both our life totals are really low we've been racing the trolls have just been connecting i've been letting their creatures connect and then like playing my things to block and then i've got a lair of the hydra 
So I, I really just had this like really complicated board state around not only managing how much can I afford to extend myself, can I get myself in a position such that if my opponent draws a blank or a land, um, they might activate their den of the bugbear and try to kill me that way because I would I only have the one blocker back um, in the, the old growth troll, but I have the Seiju in hand. So I have like the one removal spell in my deck that I could ever have actually have that they might not even see to play around. Um, it was just a really, really complicated spot. And instead of trying to sit there and like feel like, oh, I should know what I'm doing, I literally just took the time, um, which I, I'd allowed my opponent to take quite a bit of time on some decisions, like their fable triggers, things like that, where like, you know, it's the finals, it's just the two of us. Um, the judge wasn't pressing anyone to make a play, and I, I wasn't pressing my opponent, they were pressing me. Um, but to really just, because I had the time, slow down, think about everything, think about the numbers on like, think about the combat, think about can I afford to animate my lair and basically put my whole turn to um, to like killing one of their blockers? It, is me adding a blocker changing things in the scenario? What is it I'm trying to accomplish with my turn? And really taking the time on that pivotal turn and then on a lot of the combats uh, following after I'd kind of committed to my course. Um, led me to win this game that was absolutely extremely losable the whole way through like it, it was so like so hair hair thin close like the margins were so thin on on like every attacker block if i, I think if i do just about anything differently um i would lose the game and uh really just feeling good about giving myself the time to navigate that situation um, not being overwhelmed and really just, and not forcing myself to rush myself to make a play and to do what I think looks right, but to actually check all the math was really just something that I haven't, uh, haven't done enough and always want to try to get myself to do more because it is the hardest thing to do in Magic, I think. Well, I, one, I want to applaud you. We, we talked last week about uh, Pioneer quite a bit, and one of the decks that we talked about was this deck, and, you know, and, if there's anything I noticed from the testing for the last RC around this deck and with this deck, it's kind of like the games that you win um, that come down to Lair are often both the hardest and the ones where you have to really squeeze things out because, like, uh, I actually, fun fact, I had a tournament where I was playing this deck trying to, like, you know, get prepare for some RCQs, and my opponent was like, why didn't you kill me? Doesn't that, doesn't Lair have Trample? It's like, no. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> this deck, this deck would be so different if Lair had Trample. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I really appreciate you kind of sharing that because I, I think that if you're going to be successful with this deck, especially if it has the targets on its back, those Lair, not, not just Lair turns, but like the multiple turns where you're setting up for those type of kills, regardless of whether or not you even have a Deseju, which, you know, might have even helped or complicated things for you, uh, is really important. So. Yeah, I think that, yeah, the, the decision point I was stuck at for the longest was I have the ability to make my lair exactly big enough to attack for lethal, but then I can only leave up Buseju and not activating my old growth troll land to make a 4-4 so i can't leave up both 
but it was just like all these things that are like because of like the devotion pips matter like really when you have to scrap out the games you're not just like activating card and putting something that your opponent can't beat in a play those games are incredibly difficult and um i'm just very glad and you know got rewarded with uh with my rsq like my rc invite for taking the time to do that and you know it's just such an important skill that every magic player i know always says that they wish they could they could do and so i i did it this week and it felt felt really good and definitely felt like uh, an improvement to even think that i needed to that's awesome man uh just really quickly want to shout out uh our, all of our patrons um the patreon discord uh has been popping with previews and things like that so head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg if you're a patron of five dollars or more you get access to, just for that one, you get access to live shows that we're doing right now. Uh, they're currently on Tuesdays at about, uh, you know, uh, 8, 8.30 uh, Eastern time. Uh, you get access to the Discord. You get access to, um, you know, the Patreon questions. It, it, the $5 area is like a really good value. Um, so ch check that out. Uh, and then just really quickly, want to mention that we're looking for sponsors. Right now, uh, I am drinking, you know, speaking of potential sponsors, uh, and if you're looking at the screen, I would love Liquid Death to reach out. Uh, this is uh, Liquid Death. I drink the mountain water, Abe. Let me, let me tell you something, man. Like, I drink Fiji water. I drink the, there's a new Hawaiian water that's going around. None of them come close to Liquid Death. And Liquid Death comes in a can, uh, which means that it is reasonable, recyclable, like really easy. So if you, Liquid Death, are listening, give a shout out. But if you want an ad read that good, where we just promote your product really easily, seamlessly into the show, also give us give us a call. Let us know. ccmtg.info at gmail.com. Yeah, you don't get to episode 442 without knowing how to do that. So <laughs> uh, You can also check out the Heezy Game Media Discord. It's free. If you, you, know, you just wanted to talk to other people about magic, talk about other nerd stuff, and then, if you want to support the show directly, you know, we don't have a sponsor right now. You know, the swag store. Get a t-shirt. Get a... This This is in the CCMTG cup. I'm sorry. I haven't bought mine yet. Uh, you know, but I don't know if Abe's got his desk mat yet. But there's lots of stuff. You know, life pads, stuff like that. Head on over to it. It's in the show notes. And uh, it really does help with the show. That being said, let's get into our main topic. We are doing one of our macro archetype breakdowns. One of our favorite types of episodes. We really wanted to continue this year. And uh, we're doing it out of order, in my opinion. <laughs> but it was the one that Abe was, I was like, Abe, I want to cancel this week's episode. And he's like, well, what if we did macro archetype on ramp? I was like, well, I guess I won't cancel then. <laughs> Can't say no to ramp. I mean, who I, would you I, I can't. Um but I want to. I want to. You know, we we talked about historic decks in um, in the control deck and in the aggro deck episodes, and I and even in some of the mid range episodes. And we will still do that in this episode. But I think that like I don't know that it's that beneficial to talk about like wildfire ramp. I don't know that it's that beneficial to talk about like wolf on ramp in specifics or. Even even Volokit ramp like in specific like the primeval titan decks or the um even like the uh the the ramp the grow spiral ramp decks like I don't know if that's like what helps in this type of episode unlike where 
a lot of the things that happened in those first three, right, the control, the mid-range, and the aggro decks, they pull from the identities of a lot of, like, these are, like, the, the core, this is magic type of archetypes. And while that is true of ramp decks, um, I think that the things that we're going to cover today are maybe a little bit more core identity than, like, whatever was happening with Farseek and the Solemn Simulacrum. Yeah, and I think that that kind of stems from just something really uh, unique, well, not unique about ramp, but something that really defines ramp, which is that, like you said, wildfire ramp decks or primeval titan ramp decks, or, you know, I think a lot about, like, the Ugin ramp decks recently, or, like, Emergenel Ultimatum ramp decks, even in, in, like, some pretty recent standards. Oftentimes, the ramp decks, um, you know, they're goal and and their existence is so defined by there being a threat a single card as opposed to like the the other archetypes where um you know a control deck is kind of a sum of a bunch of different cards all doing the same types of things or performing different roles in this dance that allows you to play this game plan whereas ramps game plan is um for better or worse uh, really just spearheaded by okay this is the powerful thing that is the reason i'm playing this deck and so, uh, you know, the, the historical deck list are really just pointing out, yeah, this card was really good. And so they were like, doing this was really good. Yeah. And so they were just trying to do it as fast as possible because that's, uh, that's really what ramp does, right? That's, Let's that's talk about speed really quick because sometimes I think that, like, people think that just because speed is introduced in a format that that just naturally leads to that being a thing. And I think that mana advantage only matters when two things happen one your your threat lines up being it being either a turn or two turns faster becomes close to unbeatable or two uh the your bridge spells being a turn faster or whatever line up really well with the format but like just just the card like let's say the card ramber growth or farsake right the card existing changes the format right it means that four drops in any color that's not double cut like anything that is not double colored that is green or not even green like to be honest like depending on the mana like you could go double red you could i'm actually just gonna take back what i said like four drops just become a different part of the metagame right and it means you get to skip a part of the curve that also can be true uh depending on the one mana like if wild growth was in the format abe like i don't think either of us ever played standard with that but there was a time where like wild growth was that was it like, you just played wild growth in your deck because like that's pretty messed up yeah like what do you <laughs> they're not gonna stop it right and kind of understanding like what that looks like when we saw it recently with growth spiral right where growth spiral was kind of that that initial ramp spell. Um, I think that understanding mana advantage comes down to two things, and we'll we'll talk about both of them kind of in ad nauseum here, but are are my threats worth ramping into? And in combination with my bridge spells, and do they make my bridge spells better? Uh becomes a question. Yeah, I mean if you think about it really literally what you're doing when you put ramp spells in your deck, especially ones that are just 
like rampant growth, which are you spend one card to get a land or play tapped. That is basically the equivalent of a control deck having a cantrip, right? You're going to spend a card to get another card. And maybe there's a bit of selection. In this case, it's I'm going to spend a card and this mana to rather than get another chance at a spell out of my deck or a specific type of thing, see more options, I'm going to make another land draw. And so if you're going to be investing cards, which are usually you know considered the most valuable resource um, because they can do the most things, right? They can be your threats and your, you know, they can be your mana to cast the things. The things that you wind up casting need to be able to recoup the advantage that you are losing in the early game by casting um, your ramp spells, right? You're going down effective cards that impact the board in a meaningful way, right? Impact the battlefield as far as dealing damage to the opponent or, um, you know, setting up more sustainable card advantage engines to, to fight longer fights, um, to make sure that you can cast whatever it is you want to cast faster so you can do it sooner. And, well, and that really... And I think I think that you've hit on a point later in the show notes that I think that maybe this is the right time to talk about it, where the what the the type of ramp spells you have available to you will dictate the types of roles that you get to play in a given match with ramp, right? Um, this can, but I want to be clear that there are only three roles the the ramp deck gets to play, and one of them is not aggro. So we haven't covered combo yet, but. In my opinion, ramp decks get to cover one of three roles. They get well, I guess unless you're in the who's the beatdown theory, in which case you technically get to cover both. But you're either a combo deck, a control deck, or a mid range deck in basically every format. Um, and the type of ramp cards and the type of payoffs and bridge spells dictate what that looks like. Like for example, if you're going to play the combo role, you often have no bridge spells. That's if you do, they're like removal spells, right? They're like lightning bolt or, uh, or uh, you know, or like electrolyze to like deal to yeah. rock. Like, well, you actually, if you're the combo role, you get the. That's when you get the most ways, I think, to really uh, do that, right? Like scape shift, right? Team or scape shift, right? That's a combo ramp deck where you are using. Cards I would, to get ahead I would on argue that there's like a combo control deck for what it's worth. But it it does it through ramp. But I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, or or you would even say like the ones that are more pure ramp, like the red green scape shift decks. Yeah. Those ones they played their only spells that were not ramping were lightning bolt because lightning bolt is just that efficient. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the point, right? Is like okay, this is this is not a ramp spell, but it does the same thing essentially when targeting a creature or when dealing an extra three off of my combo. So it serves the same game plan that my deck is trying to do. So, you know, the type of cards that you get to play in your ramp deck, whether it's, you know, a, a Farseek, a Lightning Bolt, or, you know, we'll go to the Teamer example, right? Or a Remand. Like, what do those cards all have in common, Abe? Well, all of those cards are all on the axis of fighting over time. Right. So you're you're trying to make it so... But we'll say primeval titan in this example. You're trying to say if if this primeval titan comes down before you have a board presence, you're going to lose. Like the the resources that will then be available to both my my ad nauseum of lands will out. Like 
it doesn't matter if you have seven cards in hand after this comes down because every card that I play for the rest of the game deals three due to a volicate or, you know, or is a literal lightning bolt because it's lightning bolt. Right. And I mean, I, when I think about, not to like, obviously Primal Titan is, like we said, the Tom Brady. It's, it's just that good. Um, but when I think about ramp decks and kind of the ways they've been constructed and what really matters in them, what I always think about is that Wolf Run ramp deck from uh, the Scars of Mirrodin standard format, where, uh, like, yeah, this is like Boomer Magic or whatever, me and Spencer having our moment back, looking back at the glory days, but the deck really is a perfect showcase of... Um, you know, uh, the way that a good ramp deck, a really, like, really good ramp deck gets to play, because not only did it play, you know, because Primeval Titan's just that good, it got to play Galvanic Blast and Whip Flare and Slagstorm, all of these cheap ways to interact with the board yeah. to make it so that they could have time to cast their ramp spells, which would get their additional lands in play and get their additional mana sources and so that they could then cast Primeval Titan. Yeah, and it, it also was a one of those decks that was really good at evolving because it was I mean, the the second you realize that like that deck beat the blue eyed deck, which was the the Sun Titan um Solar Flare deck. Once once you realize like, oh, Solar Flare is actually really bad against Gasic Wolfron, like that actually doesn't work. Um yeah. it, it became like, okay, well what is the control deck of this format? And it turned out that this galvanic blast uh second uh what is the name what is the name of the artifact the two mana chart sphere of sphere, the suns sphere of suns yeah like artifact deck with solemn simulacrum and uh and huntmaster of the fells was weirdly the best control deck like it also it served the control role it served but it also served like this mid-range roll and this is when the ramp decks are the best and, and there, I, think, I think the, the wolf run deck is a really good example of this um because if you look a year before primal titan was still in the standard right we actually had two years of ending core sets and that deck was like four lotus cobra four inferno titan four summoners pack four primeval titans and it was just literally trying to cast like the whole deck was just i'm trying to cast the six drop and if it wasn't that version, you have the Mono Green deck that was, I'm trying to get you to counter one of these to Summoner's Pack into an Eldrazi, right? And that is such a different, um, and one of the reasons that ramp's so interesting is that that is such a different microcosm than what you're talking about, Abe, right? Where this, this Wolf Run deck is, it is a control deck that has, I don't know that I would call it a combo kill, but like, Wolf Run going to grab or Primal Titan grabbing Ink Moth Nexus and Wolf Run and saying, "Hey, you also can't tap out anymore." Uh, it's really powerful. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing about Primal Titan that made it so good is right. Like we, there's that there's the Valakut deck that Primal Titan went and got mountains or Valakuts, whatever you needed to make it so that you could uh, you could kill with that late game engine. And then when that rotated out and we got uh, in that format. Keswick Wolf Run, and we had Ink Moth Nexus together, and then we also had like Glimmer Voids. There was just a bunch of lands that made it so that Can I tell you something I've never said on this podcast? What? Uh, So, we were testing for I'm in a total boomer story here. 
testing for a PTQ for week one of standard. And I think temporal mastery is busted. Like as like an explore type effect and also like a ramp spell. And I have a Glimmer Void Temporal Mastery Wolfrun Ramp deck. Uh, and my friends convinced me just to play Wolfrun because there's no way that I actually broke the format. Uh, and then Huey Jensen and Reed Duke literally pull out that exact deck at Worlds. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you gotta go with your gut. Sometimes you just sometimes know. You're, sometimes you're right. Uh, anyway. Sometimes you're right. But no, I, I think that Wait. you're, like, the, the point you're making about, like, the versatility of some of these ramp cards is also really important. Right, and and also that specifically the threats that you're ramping into and what you're enabling, right? Like, Primeval Titan, not only did it grab this kind of combo kill of, here's Nick Bob Nexus at a Kessick Wolf run, now you're under incredible duress of your life total because the the wolf run makes it to every single like random every solemn simulacrum every wolf token left over from my hunt master befells every single creature is now carrying a very real threat of killing you so you need to answer all of those also i got a land that also carries a very real threat of killing you and so even if you answer the primeval titan then you're still behind the eight ball and that kind of power behind a threat right that is what makes it worth investing those cards to to cast a spell ahead of curve right in order to, to spend cards out of your hand to do that sooner, because you're going to give your opponent less opportunity to really interact with it, and you're going to you're going to start snowing well in the game where yeah. your opponent can't keep up. Shout out to and that's really Andy. what makes ramp ramp. And shout out to Andy Awkward. Like, we saw this recently with the Emerging Ultimatum did the same thing, where it's like, okay, like, I'm going to Emerging Ultimatum, and then it, it didn't really matter what you pick, like, what happened here, it was going to win the game. And even if I didn't emerge an ultimatum, the the way that my deck was constructed meant that because I had that type of mana and the mana advantage, like I got to be this once again, like I got to play the control role in a lot of those games. And that's where I think that the types of cards, the type of ranked cards is really important. And understanding bridge spells is really important. Um, I, I want to go into types of ranked cards really quick because... We we kind of covered on Farseek a little bit, right? Covered. We talked a little bit about things like Slagstorm. We talked a little bit about things like Solemn Simulacrum or Huntmaster of the Fells. And these these are different type of cards. And we what we haven't touched on is like Birds of Paradise type cards, where I think that a lot of people when they think of Ramp today might think of like Mono Green in Pioneer. And it is true that like green green Nykthos decks, they are ramp decks, but they are much more on the combo side of the ramp than the control side, which are all the decks that we've talked about. Uh, Abe, do you want to talk about that really quick? Yeah, and I think that Nykthos is a pretty good example. Sometimes there's there's linear ramp decks and there's non-linear ramp decks. And Nykthos ramp right is obviously a very non-linear ramp deck. It's not like I'm just playing one card at a time and getting ahead one mana per card. And that is allowing me to power something out X amount of turns ahead because I've played this many cards to invest, right? Um, it's more so that the Nykthos ramp deck is trying to generate more mana per card than just one. And, um, you know, you can see that in real boomer magic with cards like Thran Dynamo or whatever, where like... 
you spend the whole with, turn with wilderness uh or exclamation what is the wilderness reclamation yeah wilderness. yeah that's a good example too where you play wilderness reclamation and because expansion explosion shark typhoon these things are such powerful threats that you can spend a bunch of mana on in the end step with that mana once you have access to it like you're now making it so that your mana is scaling in a way that's not just okay uh like I'm ahead. I'm ahead of you on curve by this little bit because I've spent my cards doing that, which is pretty fair. Um, instead, like you're kind of exposing yourself to, especially with Nykthos, exposing yourself to the fragility of putting permanence in play to hope to get this bigger payoff. There's kind of a risk and reward usually for that, but really, um, or like Tron, right? Tron is a deck where it goes one, two, seven if it finds all of its things, and that is very much a non-linear ramp. Um, but it is still, you know, a deck that's trying to cast these these big ramp threats, and so it's under right. the same. If, if you're actually looking at like what things like Ancient Stirrings and Sylvan Scrying do in that deck, it is actually their ramp spells. Um, I've gotten into this argument a lot, by the way. You're the first person to agree with me that Tron is a ramp deck. Everybody's like, no, Tron is just a control deck. I'm like, that's just true of half the ramp decks, but it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that something core to, like like you mentioned when we were talking about different types of ramp spells, something about ramp spells is that not every ramp not this is the secret to ramp decks. I'm really gonna I'm really gonna blow it wide open for you. Every spell in your ramp deck should probably ramp in some way or be a threat, but sometimes ramping is getting to take another turn and play another land, and that's really where like if you look at the Soulti Ultimatum deck, right. You didn't have necessarily, uh, you know, a spell for four mana that got you two lands. That really it was the cultivate deck, right? Like it was like I either draw a cultivate or I draw a removal spell, right? Or you have what the card I'm specifically going to refer to, which is binding of the old gods. Or binding of the old gods, it killed the thing in front of you, likely putting your opponent back a turn. Or Quandrix cultivator, which probably blocked something or invalidated some card and put you a land ahead. And then, in the case of Binding, you killed something, and then you got a land the next turn. But also, because you killed that thing, you probably got to make another land drop and put yourself that much closer to casting spells you actually need to cast. And so if you're a ramp deck, right, in some ways, a control deck is, uh, like, when it casts Wrath of God and is getting that time, it's doing it so it can do something else, right? It's not trying to do that so that it can leverage a mana advantage generated by its other cards. It's trying to naturally prolong the game such that it can assemble that man advantage through all of its land drops and drawing extra cards, right? That's its ramp engine. If well, you're that's also that why, that's why cheap threats are so much better in control decks, right? It's like, if I can, if I can wrath you and then also play a Narset or, or, you know, whatever the mother fetching thing that I want to do, it does the thing that ramp is doing, but it's doing it in reverse order, right? The, the man advantage comes from the wrath spell. And then the threat becomes cheaper than the threat that you were playing in the ramp deck. But it's doing the same thing. Exactly. It's trying to, to generate that same position of this this card is going to act as the card that wins the game and is that much more powerful. And I'm going to generate time and space for it to do that. The ramp deck is doing it instead of this kind of way of, okay, I'm going to spend much time and resources getting to a point where I can set up to end the game. It's saying that I'm going to thrum the start develop my resources into playing out what it is that's going to end the game and all i really need is time to get to cast the spell because it's going to invalidate your thing it's like if i'm going to cast an ugin in a game of standard 
and minus four it. Like, you're not going to come back from that if you're playing some mid-range deck, which is exactly what we saw in the format the last time that Ugin was in standard, um, was that one of the best things you could do that everyone really was trying to do was just cast Ugin, because it would trump everything else going on. And so, really, when you're a deck that has that kind of trump, control decks try to generate a context in which their cards are trumps. But Ramp is really saying the card is a trump, and I'm going to to just do everything I can to cast it. And I think that that's really where, that's how they're similar, but also where that distinction lies. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I, I think it goes into where we're kind of, I love that we're bouncing around in the way that the show notes look, by the way, because I think that it all interweaves really importantly for Ramp. But I think that that's why sequencing is so important in Ramp, and also why bridge spells are so important, understanding your sequencing and your bridge spells. Like, um, uh, one of the, the biggest regrets of my entire Magic career is Casey and I are testing for um, for Grand Prix Denver. Um, we're pl- and we are pretty set on playing Teamer Elementals. Um, one, just a fun deck, lots of triggers, like just a fun deck to play. Really good, has lots of good matchups. Um, but we both end up losing to this, this Bant Scapeshift deck. And we're like... Oh my, but it's like the like two days before the tournament. And we're like, well, that's the best thing in standard. And I was like, is somebody going to know that? Is somebody going to figure that out? He's like, nah, man, that's fine. Like, it's just, I'm sure it'll be in a couple weeks. Uh, I ended up losing to Caroline, uh, Caroline Party, uh, playing that deck in like round four. We were both undefeated. Uh, and LSV won the tournament with that deck. Uh, but like, you know, this is another example of like understanding ramp and bridge spells. So like a really good example of this, um, is actually, and the reason I want to bring this deck up was a Boreal Grazer, where this card gets to both be a ramp spell in your opener and a bridge spell later because it gains you five life or whatever it gains you. And understanding the sequencing of like a Boreal Grazer into Cultivate is something that's available in Pioneer that we actually saw take down a challenge, if people remember, of the, the green-red deck uh, that was just a Boyle Grazer in, into, and and I think Llanowar Elves were the two one-drops, and they just played Cultivate and uh, Nissa's Pilgrimage into um, any five-drop. I think that they played both uh, uh, the... I think they pulled played both Golos and, um, what's the name of the the green green green? No, I would be so much better if it was our promise. Uh, no, a Cavalier of Thorns, Uh, and then and then they played Worldbreaker and, um, and uh, Dragonlord of Tarka, um, and and one of the really interesting things here is like, okay, that's a clear sequence I can see one three five seven, completely clean, right? That doesn't always work. In fact, Wizards tries not to make it that clean anymore after Wolf Run Ramp. They saw what they did with Wolf Run Ramp, and they're like, nope, we're not doing that again. Uh, And, you know, understanding your sequencing and understanding the type of sequences that you can have, whether it's Grazer into into, uh, I actually played a deck that had Grazer and Pilgrimage, uh, or maybe it wasn't Grazer and Pilgrimage. It was something in Pilgrimage, and it was uh, you had two to four, you had three to five, 
was the was the 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 available sequences and understanding your sequences lets you understand okay if these are my sequences what do i need to sprinkle in between for my bridge spells to make it so my deck works yeah and i think that um i think that that's something where not even just in the bridge spells that you have and what it is you play because that because that can matter line up with like right one of the reasons that the uh titan shift decks in modern played bolt is that like they were so they're so tied to and they were so fixated on okay i'm going to be casting all these ramp spells and just trying to cast primal titan we're getting the scape shift that a lot of their ramp spells are even mana costs right it's a lot of going you know sakura tribe elder or you know far seek um that your turn one is pretty available and then also you're going to have turns where you have an odd number of mana and so paying the least mana possible to cast your removal spell, right? That's going to be the most convenient because your deck is just all these ramp spells. Now, if you're talking about a deck like... Um, well, hold on. Because I, I want to talk about Pyroclasm as you're talking about that, where we had a world in which we had so many two-mana ramp spells that it made Pyroclasm really important, right? Where, like, you could you could wait to Pyroclasm... And then people had to really decide when to play their creatures for a long time. And, like, that type of thing is the sequencing that matters. Right. And also just knowing when it is you're going to... Right, like, what is the value? And generally when I'm looking at a ramp spell in my hand, I'm playing a ramp deck. I have to ask myself, what is the value of the mana on, you know, the next turn if I get to do this, right? Because is it better than doing something else? Something that came up during um, the RCQ that I played on Sunday was that in my top four match against Black Red, I had an opener where I was on the draw and I had Oath of Nyssa and Llanowar Elves. And this is the most basic the decision can be, right? It's am I casting a bridge spell, right? A spell that's just going to kind of develop me a little bit more, get me a little further ahead in my game plan, be a little more consistent. What a bridge spell old growth troll gets to be, man. Like, what in the... (laughs) That That one's a suspension. That one's the golden gate. Honestly, that thing is wild. Uh, same with Cavalier, but uh, up to this point, <laughs> but to this point, uh, you know, it's the choice of okay, if I cast this Llanowar Elves, the next turn I'm gonna have three mana if my opponent doesn't interact with it, and they might, or if I cast this Oath of Nyssa, you know, I'm going to be safe and have this opportunity to cast this later and maybe have it be more protected or more awkward for my opponent to deal with. And, you know, leading on that Oath of Nyssa, for me in that game, because my I was on the draw and my opponent had played an untapped land on turn one that could cast Fatal Push, it wound up meaning that when I cast the Elf the next turn, or like two turns later with something else, now it was A, more likely to give me the additional mana, because it was going to be less likely they wanted to spend their mana on Fatal Push in that spot, or they might have spent their mana another way. And B, I had made sure that my hand was going to develop better by casting my bridge spell first because I don't need the mana immediately in that matchup. It's not about me going turn one elf, turn two Kiora. Like, of course, if I do that, that's great. But yeah. running that risk is not something I need to do because really it's about having the mana on the turns that I need it with that deck. And really, when it comes to ramp, even the ones that are kind of developing more lands, it's a question of, okay, if I spend my turn not developing the battlefield other than my mana... Is that the thing I can afford to do this turn? Is that a thing I need to do this turn as opposed to developing the game or interacting with the game in a different way? Because oftentimes your deck will be, you know, three piles of cards. 
cards that gain you mana, cards that gain you time, and cards that end the game. And so you're really going to be choosing between cards that gain you mana and cards that inter- that like uh, give you time. And that's going to be your hardest decision every time, but you really need to gauge that. Well, I think you highlighted like one of the reasons that I recommend people learn how to play ramp decks, even though people are like, oh, ramp decks are dumb, like ramp decks are stupid. I, it that that this is key understanding how to sequence your deck in the best case scenario and then understanding how to sequence your deck while playing around what your opponent can do to stop you is literally magic that is how magic works and ramp does a really good job of teaching you how to do that uh, and it will make you a better mid-range player, a better control player, a better combo player than any other archetype, in my opinion. And I am completely biased. But it it teaches you those lessons. It does not teach you great aggro lessons. And I'm not going to pretend that it ever will, because it, do- it does not. It doesn't. No, but it teaches you the, the, the advantage <laughs> of mana. Yeah. It teaches you about mana advantage. It teaches right. you about when is it, like, how important is it to have a mana advantage? Or to try to develop a man advantage, and when does it matter, and when does it not, and like you know, yeah, how to leverage it. So yeah, that it, it really it, is like such an important skill that comes from that that is so applicable in just about every archetype that seeks to play a long game. Yeah, and, and honestly, like it, it's so funny, right? Because like a lot of uh, if you were to ask like every ram player like what they want to do, they want to win on like turn four, right? Like they want to win on turn four to six. They don't actually want to play a long game. They, they they want the game to be over so fast. That's just not what the reality is with for them. And so what ends up happening is they have to play that long game. They have to leverage their bridge spells and their ramp spells the way that you're talking about. And learning to do that will teach you how to do it with every single deck. Because it is a flavor of those archetypes, right? Depending on how you build it. And I want to be clear that how you construct your ramp deck will mean that you are either a mid-range deck, control deck, or combo deck. And it's usually a mixture of two. You're usually either combo control, or you're mid-range control, or you're, uh, you're mid-range combo. Like, that, you are actually usually blurring the lines, because, and the reason for that is because you're, you're picking a lane that is your starting point. Whether it's lands in play, whether it's pips in play, whether it's... Uh, you know, whether it's uh, cost efficiency, right? You're, you're picking a lane that you believe the format is about and that the games will be about, and you're trying to construct the game around that thing. Yeah, and it, and it really comes down to the threats that are available to you too, right? Like some of the... some Like when Thragtusk was in the format, uh, when it was in Standard, like that made it so that every deck was just kind of a mid-range soupy deck, and you couldn't you couldn't ramp to a card that was going to go for Thrag Tusk. What you could do is you could generate enough of a man advantage that you could Thrag Tusk more and harder, right? And you could do it faster. Or, you know, with Elder Gargaroth, your deck's going to be way more mid-rangey when that's one of the premier threats of the format, but casting it ahead of schedule is so powerful, right? So gaining that man advantage to cast your card that is just a haymaker in a game that's just going to outsize and invalidate a lot of what's going on, that makes your deck inherently want to have the rest of the surrounding things Sure, you don't like you want to be able to do more stuff, but you don't need to get to like eight or nine mana every game really fast. That's not the kind of ramp deck you are. Maybe your deck that's just trying to use a little bit of ramp to cast two or three four drops a turn, 
uh, maybe not three, four tokens, but like, you know, like two or three good spells, two or three haymaker spells a turn because the threats are just so good. And that was really like a strength of the, the Salty Ultimatum deck, right? Is that it was able to use Cultivate as kind of a fair mid-range way to get ahead on lands and then also use the fact it had so many ways to get ahead on mana to use this this big endgame on time. But if you're, you know, talking about a deck like, uh, you know, like Scapeshift or like, you know, the Ugin decks, those decks are, or the decks with Ulamog, right? Those decks, they were just like, Ulamog is so much better or Emrakul is so much better than every other card. And if I cast it, the game's over. So I'm going to do that. My entire deck is going to be fixated on doing that. And if I do that thing, I win. And uh, it really, like, that makes your deck a lot more willing to be more controlling or drag the game out in that way rather than playing more spells that kind of bridge because it's just a matter, it's a function of the power of your best thing is really what, what defines the kind of ramp deck you're going to build for a format. I love it. I think that we covered this really well. And uh, according to... Somebody told me, Spencer, I love it when you toot your own horn. The playmat... If you're watching on YouTube, the playmat of my head is a Farseek Thragtus deck. State champion. Uh, this was my first Pro Tour. Mono Green Devotion. This was another state champion deck. Uh, Teamer uh, Aetherworks Marble. So... I like I like this archetype, man. I don't know what to I don't know what to say. This is, this is the way I like to play Magic. As much as you're not only ramp guy, because you know Magic players are not defined by any single archetype, you are definitely a ramp guy. You do love. <laughs> I do. It's it's it is it is just a good time, man. It's a good time. <laughs> I mean, Lotus Cobra is my favorite Magic card. It is. It's the most fun in Magic. I mean, you get to put good cards in your deck, and then you get to cast them faster. What's not to like? Exactly. And Lotus Cobra attacks. I I uh, I had a PDQ top eight where I played Boomer Jund, uh, back when Boomer Jund was the best deck, and I cut Dark Confidant. Zero Dark Confidants, four Lotus Cobras, Thunder Maw Hellkite. Now you're speaking that card. That card speaks yeah. the language. People are like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put Lingering Souls in our deck to win the Junmere. I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut Dark Confidant and play Thundermall Guy. Do you know who I didn't lose to? A Junmere at that PTQ. <laughs> People were like, what just happened to me? That card is built to beat Lingering Souls almost exclusively. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know, like, what is your favorite ramp archetype of all time? Um, you know, what what is what is it that we might have missed? I, I think that one of the cool things that happens in the Discord is people are like, hey, like, you guys talk about this, but what about this specific piece? You know, we, we, today we talked about sequencing. We talked about, uh, you know, payoffs. We talked about the types of cards that can help you ramp. We talked about bridge spells. Um, is, was this something we didn't explain? Leave a comment on the YouTube channel in the Discord. Let us know. Uh, Adrian asks, Patreon question, you can become a patron of $5 or more to get access to this. What is the most important thing to grasp or understand for improvement at Magic if you don't have any peers around you and essentially a one-person team? I gave Adrian some crap in our Discord. I don't know that's crap. It was actually like a loving moment. I was like, Adrian, stop it. There are multiple people in this Discord that will play with you. And multiple people told them he will play with them. And um, 
I, I'm going to be honest, Adrian. I don't believe in a one-person playtesting team. I don't think that's how it is. I think it is unsustainable is the advice that I would give you. And it is okay if you are the shy one. It is okay if you are the introvert. Um, I think that I think that finding a community, even if it's just one person, if you can find one extrovert to like be your buddy, you will find the community you're looking for. And let me tell you, extroverts want that introverted buddy. You'll find it. Um, but but I do think that like the advice that I would give you is find one person. One person, it, it, the problem is, is that growth in magic with people is exponential up to a certain point. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that person challenging you, uh, the, the isolation and that soloness is going to hurt you. Um, and you know, even if the person is a coach, like, go hire a coach that, that is, that is enough of not being solo that it's better than what you're asking. And I know that this is not like a direct answer to this question. I've coached Adrian before, by the way. And just like if anyone's listening and wants a person that's willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to always ask questions, Adrian's a great person for that. Um, so I, I don't want you, Adrian, to feel like you are that person because you're not. And I know that I know people have worked with you and they've enjoyed that part of your presence. So that that's my answer. What about you, Ed? Yeah, I think um, my answer is pretty similar in that I think that the most important thing to grasp and understand if you're trying to improve magic and you feel like you don't have anyone around you and you are uh, essentially just going solo in a one-person team is that you are not actually likely going solo and there are so many more people available to you than you think that there are, even if it's your magic online opponents, even if it's your, you know, the people at your LGS who you don't see as your necessarily like direct peers as far as play skill or goals or anything, like there are so many people around you that you can connect to. There are people on Twitter who talk about magic all of the time. There are content creators, there are Twitch chats, there are places for you to, you know, exchange ideas and find people, um, or even, you know, discords like our own, where you can have people to work with and really, uh, the value that you get out of having other people to work with is having other people's perspectives to challenge and to per, like put into context your own more than, you know, it is to have anyone consistently playing matches against you or any of that. And like Spencer said, a coach can be a great proxy for that. If you don't have that immediately available, or you're not sure where to look, you know, at, at when I qualified for my first pro tour, I tell the story a decent bit on the podcast, but I'll tell it again here, which is that, when I qualified for my first pro tour, I was in a spot where I had been working with my local friends who I still, uh, you know, still work with. And at this point, and like, you know, we literally, we, all three of us, all three people in the story, me and my two friends, we drove to that RCQ together on like this weekend. And they both helped me. They both boxed out so that I could make top four and like play for the invite and everything. Like we're still really tight homies, all that. But they frustrated me to no end, and I felt like I couldn't work with them for this R for this RPTQ that I qualified from. And I was like, I'm just gonna have to go it solo. And I was like, Well, what am I gonna do when I'm going it solo? And I looked around. I was like, You know, I do have someone I can reach out to who might be able to give me a hand, or I, you know, I can just go play Magic Online for a while and like do this process instead. And you're really, even if it feels like you don't have anyone to reach out to, you probably do. And the people who you 
might never expect to actually be able to help you will help you. And it's really when you, you know, accept that and are willing to look for that, that um, you can, you can find that. And when you're a one person team, like I was uh, for that RPTQ, uh, it's really about the work you're doing, you're doing alone, the actual like playing the games, looking at them, but the stuff that you're learning and the stuff you're applying and the process, all of that is where your teammates really matter. So, you know, don't feel like you are alone just because you can't play with someone. I, I want to have say, a lot of opportunities. I just want to say too, I just latch on. Like if, if, if like, I hate to make this joke. Cause like this was a joke in old school magic, but like be the barnacle. Who cares? Like, like who honestly, who cares if you're the barnacle at some point, like what does the barnacle do other than like feed off of what, you know, the whale, right? Like, I, uh, th- this was like a joke in like old magic, but like there's something that you really respect, like really respecting your local scene. And you just say like, Hey, I just want to go to every event with you that you're going to. I want like, you don't have to give me deck lists. Like you don't have to, like, I just want to be in the car. I want to be in on the plane. I like, I want to do these things with you, like do that too. But additionally, accept that too. If somebody says that, hey, I respect you as a player, and I'm not there yet, do the same thing for them. Uh, my coast of Need to Nerd uh, was having like a real problem with his self-confidence in magic. Um, he was part of the Trophy Mages when me and Mason and him did that. Uh, I had invited him onto multiple magic teams when I wanted a magic team. He's like, I never felt like I deserved it until I qualified for an RC. I was like, I don't know why you felt that way. I saw what you could do. I saw your willingness to get better. And I think that so often people get hung up in like stupid results that don't matter when the important things are the things that we talk about in this podcast, where it's like, I want to try. I want to ask questions. I want to be always improving. And if you have something that's like that, even if it's their first FNM ever, talk to them that can be that can be the person i just i just wanted to say that yeah yeah it's it's way there's way more connections that you're probably not if you feel like this if this is you and you know it doesn't have to be you right now adrian i know that these questions can kind of sit for a bit and we've had that conversation in the discord but if you're listening to this and this is you and you feel like it's just you out there probably not probably check think, think of the person you're like oh no it's not them be like is it them could be you can also ask questions on the YouTube channel or leave a comment. We like to answer those. Uh, one of the things that we, we we're trying to avoid is just plugging ourselves in these comments. So as much one, don't stop that. We actually have a discord. I'm, I want to be clear too. We do have a discord channel for myself, Abe and Mason, where we post those. We're like, Hey, these people really like us. They like what we're doing. But what we really want is conversations to start happening in the YouTube channel. So leave a comment. You know, it, when when I say, what is your favorite ramp strategy of all time? Leave a YouTube comment. I mean it. Like, I actually want to discuss that with you. I will be uh, in the YouTube replying to you, things like that. So uh, you can find the rest of the CCM Community Network. I do uh, Mythicast every month with Michaela. Uh, and then we have the wonderful Sam Black doing one of the best podcasts in magic every freaking week in drafting archetypes 
just wrapped up. He's going to start a new format here in a bit. Uh, and then there's this one. And, the, you know, sad thing that got announced this week. We're going to end, for the time being, uh, the Common Knowledge Podcast. And, you know, it, it's been hard for our hosts as they've, uh, you know, gone through life changes. But I just want to say I love you, Christian. I love you, Adam. I love the, the host before them. Uh, Sean and, and Brandon and uh, Brad. Like, we, we've had such amazing hosts for that show. I think that they were the one of the premier magic podcasts for a long time, and we really appreciate them. Uh, you can like, subscribe, review, leave a comment. All of that stuff really helps with the show. Abe, where can we find you? You can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh, DM's open for coaching of all things. I know I've said for a long time, Hammer. I do still do a lot of Hammer stuff. Hammer's really good right now in modern. But also, you know, I was telling Spencer before the show, some people hit me up about a little mono white and pioneer. I play a lot of mono green, you know, in pioneer. I play, I play a lot of magic, guys. And if you're looking for a coach, I would love to help you with, uh, you know, not just play stuff, but also your process, um, things like that. And I've been having a lot of really positive feedback about it. So uh, still some openings. Send me a DM, twitter.com slash more nothings. How about you, Spencer? Yeah, you can find me uh, every week on the Need to Nerd podcast where we talk about things in nerd culture. You can find me at Spencer30H on Twitter. You can find me every month on Mythic Cash with Mythic Michaela, where we talk about being ready for battle uh, in Magic the Gathering on Arena specifically, but also for your RCQs. Uh, additionally, uh, I have had a lot of coaching fill up since our last episode. I want to say thank you. Um, I know, I, I, I do believe that some of that is, is from people realizing that I'm out of a job, and I, it means a lot. Like, I, I know that you didn't have, you people didn't have to do that, um, but, you know, it is filling up. Um, one of the favorite conversations that I had, though, is with a podcast listener I won't name, but uh, he talked about me coaching their entire team as coaching a team for the RC. Um, this is something that I'm extremely interested in for what it's worth. Um, that I believe that I've done time over time for teams in a, in a role, so to speak, um, historically, um, for, for those silver Utah players and, and bronze Utah players. And I, I would love to, to help people in that way. Uh, as we were having the discussion, I thought even more about it. I thought more about it since. So if you have a team of X plus people that are all qualified and you want someone to coach you on like, Okay, how do we attack the format? How do we prepare? How do we uh, organize? Things like that. I, I'm happy to do that. I'm coaching too. Um, and honestly, if I'm being honest, that would be a coaching that I think I'd be really good at. So, um, yeah. Uh, hit me up, SpencerHH on Twitter for that. Thank you for listening. Abe, this is unsurprisingly one of my favorite episodes. And I just want to thank you for being my co-host on it. I'm glad that you and me and not Mason can do it. Oh, poor Mason. <laughs> we miss you, buddy. We miss you. All right. Love you, Mason. Bye, everyone.